grab a wee seat, get comfortable as we start today. I want to begin by blessing you. Uh, so I bless you right now in the name of Jesus to be at peace, to be calm in your inner being, to have peace in your mind, to be free from any fear today, to feel stress just lift off of you, and to hear Jesus more clearly. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Okay, good morning. Uh, if we've not met, if you're new or visiting here today, my name's Laura, um, and I'm the lead pastor here. And we have been... That, thank you, that's nice. That's nice. Is that a secret plan this morning that I missed? Uh, nice to see you. Hello. Uh, if you're new or visiting, we have been on a journey through the world of prayer. So our senior pastor, Brian, started us a few weeks ago talking about how when he thinks about prayer, when he looks at the Bible, looks at his own prayer life, he thinks, okay, this should work better. He then taught us how to structure our prayers according to the most epic prayers in the Bible. And now week by week, we are working through five potential areas things, blocks, challenges that might get in the way of your prayers and my prayers getting answered. So the first one of those, we looked at God's will. And I loved this picture. I love that it just makes it simple, okay? And I can go back to my prayers and think, right, is this going to make this more like heaven? Is this going to look more like heaven? Okay, then I can pray for it boldly because I know God, okay, that's your ideal will. It looks like heaven. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that in. I'm going to ask you to do that. Let your kingdom come. The second week as we worked through these five different things was my faith or your faith. And uh, I liked thinking about how um, actually we can get stuck in a vicious cycle of praying with low faith because maybe we just naturally come at a prayer request and we have low expectancy that's God, that God's going to move and then we don't see him respond to our prayers in the way that we'd hoped for. So then we apply that lower faith to the next thing that we're praying for and we can get kind of trapped in that because there's a difference between being generally quite hopeful and actually believing that God is going to move in response to most of our prayers. And after that week, I wanted to just hit refresh on some of my biggest prayers and, and go back to them and pray, okay, God, I'm going to dare, I'm going to dare have high faith about this. I'm going to dare to be hopeful in that I actually expect you to answer this prayer. And today's topic, today we're on number three, and it's a fun topic because today we're going to think about the free will of people. How might this get in the way of our prayers getting answered? Now, I first realized that I had free will when I was much younger and I used to read those Goosebump books where you got to pick the ending. I've been told that they're quite like the choose your own adventure books, but with the Goosebumps ones, you would basically get to the bottom of a page and it would say something like, the little boy goes into the creepy woods, turn to page 101, or the little boy does not go into the creepy woods, turn to page five, and you would get to decide his fate. And I liked these books, not because of the narrative content, because they were awful, but because I got to exercise my own free will. Now, free will, human free will, is much bigger, badder, better, more noteworthy than anything to do with books like that. And in a nutshell, God created us with the ability to choose. When he made Adam and Eve, he didn't make them robots or puppets, but in his image, able to choose. So that makes loving relationship possible. It also made rebellion possible. We can do good. We can do evil. We can do endless varieties of good. We can do endless varieties of evil. And for most of us, that probably doesn't look like very dramatic evil or even very evil evil. But the story of the Bible tells us that after Adam and Eve rebelled first, we now inherit 
a sin nature or this kind of gravitational pull towards evil, towards things that don't please God's heart, whether they're dramatic or not so dramatic. That's what we inherit according to Romans chapter 6. We are naturally slaves to sin. We're attached to that somehow. And without Jesus, our free will is hopelessly tied to that. But the good news is, because of Jesus, we can be made new, not perfectly holy overnight, but seen that way because of Jesus and becoming that way because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And we're told that in in the Bible that in heaven, our free will will be incorruptible. The book of 1 Peter teaches us that. But for now, you, me, everyone else, we have to live in the space between the fall and our incorruptible will in heaven. We have to live in this in-between with free will, with the ability to choose. Now, why talk about human free will in a prayer series? Because what we think about human free will will impact our prayers. And more specifically, what we think about how God interacts with human free will will impact our prayers. And it might be impacting our prayer life without us even realizing that it is. Because free will is one of those, it's a buzzword. It's, it's, it's become kind of heavy laden with lots of assumptions and lots of thoughts. Philosophical voices have lots to say about it. Theological voices have lots to say about it. And before we know it, we can kind of be like hemmed in by theology. And either maybe you love to engage with that or you don't like to engage with that. And suddenly you're just kind of surrounded by it and it can be overwhelming. But for today, it will be helpful just to let go of any preconceived ideas, to release our grip on our own theology and just to look at the Bible again and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to show us what is true for the sake of our prayers so that we can pray better, so that we can see God move in response to our prayers. We're going to look at the Bible again because human free will is involved in nearly all of our prayers. If I am praying for a job, I am praying that an employer would choose me If I'm praying for a new home, I am praying that a homeowner would choose me, especially in the west end of Glasgow. If I'm praying for someone's salvation, I am praying that as God draws them to himself, they would choose him. Free will is involved in so many of our prayers. I have a picture for you because I want to stick to Brian's system, but also subvert it slightly by showing you the picture at the very start. So as we talk about human free will today in relation to our prayers, we're going to be talking about it as a prayer hurdle, not a prayer wall more of a challenge than a block. Because if you are running a race like this, now firstly, none of us are gonna be running a race like this, but if we were to try and imitate a race like this, if we come up against a hurdle, the wrong thing to do with a hurdle is to turn around as if you've been permanently blocked. To turn around, to walk away, to give up, that's the wrong thing to do with a hurdle. The right thing to do with a hurdle, so I see or have heard, is to run at it with confidence and do the thing that you've trained to do, which is jump. So as we come up against human free will in our prayer life, the wrong thing to do would be to turn around as if it is a wall. The right thing to do would be to run at it, to raise our confidence, run at it, and do what we need to do, which is pray with faith to overcome that hurdle. Now, a well-known professor once said, it is impossible to manufacture or imitate love. Okay, you can't make a love potion. Well-known through the ages, you cannot make a love potion. We know all too well that we are limited in our ability to manipulate other people's will. You can't make a love potion. But Hudson Taylor said this, he said, it is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. We cannot manipulate someone's will ultimately, but 
It is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. That is how we can do it. We can't make a love potion, but our prayers rely on the fact that God intervenes in the area of human free will. So as we come to this topic open-handed, what, what do we actually see in the Bible? What does the Bible say? I want to go right back to the beginning, because from the beginning we see that human free will is freedom within limits, specifically. So in Genesis chapter 2 it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Humans are made in God's image. They have the ability to choose, but this is within a particular place, and it is accompanied by a command which has consequences attached to it already. Now, everything around us in our lives has conditioned us to view freedom as life without limits. And you might think, no, it's fine. I understand that my freedom comes with limits. I understand that the best sort of freedom is within limits. But you feel the sting of how we've been conditioned. I feel the sting of how we've been conditioned. All it takes is for your favorite series to be taken off Netflix. Or you find that you can, you can watch the first movie. There's three parts. You can watch the first one on Amazon Prime, but then they're going to charge you $3.99 to get the second one. So you tut, you mutter, and then you get out your wallet and you pay for it because you must not be constrained. We know how we have been conditioned. You go into Morrison's and they're like, you can shop from any aisle. You can buy anything you want, but you must not exit through that door. You think, all I want to do is exit through that door. We feel the sting of how we have come to understand freedom, but freedom was from the very beginning set up by God to be within limits. He puts them in a place. They have a command. There are consequences. And Adam and Eve were able to disobey. We know that. All throughout the Bible, we see that God allows us to choose that. In Deuteronomy, uh, once again, there's a bit where God's people are planted into a particular place, and we see God call them to choose him. He, it says he, he gives them the law, and then he says to them, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. If you walk in my ways, you will be blessed and you will live in the land I'm giving you. If your hearts turn away, you won't. What a choice. I've set before you life and death, blessings, curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. There's an example in the Bible of King Ahab in the book of 1 Kings. He does a deal with an enemy who God says will die. God says to him, you've set free a man I had determined should die. God said he should die. King Ahab let him live. And examples like his reinforce how we can use our will to go against the will of God. But it is not without consequences because God says to King Ahab, you've gone against me. Therefore, it's your life for his life. Now, that's not the sort of free will that popular culture would want us to expect or go after. But that's what we see when we look to the Bible. We see that from the very beginning, God gives his people that he makes freedom, but in a world in which he is still very much involved. So does it block our prayers? Does it block our prayers? The more I've thought about human free will over the last few days, the more I've got convinced that actually whether or not it blocks my prayers has less to do with other people's free will so much as it has to do with what I think about their free will. Because maybe I hesitate to pray because I think, right, I can, I can use my free will to ask God to do that in my life, but can I even ask that for someone else? Am I somehow violating their freedom to choose? Or maybe I hold to a commonly held belief that God doesn't interfere with someone else's free will. And therefore, 90% of my prayers are stopped in their tracks. 
Because most of my prayers involve people. Most of your prayers probably involve people too. Google says to interfere means to intervene without permission or necessity. Now, I don't think it's the perfect word to describe how God interacts with our free will in the Bible, but we can note really easily and quickly as we work through the story that God definitely intervenes without permission sometimes. Something Christians love to say is God's a gentleman. God's a gentleman. He won't barge in. Anyone else ever hear that in relation to like people choosing or rejecting God? I, I don't necessarily disagree with the entire sentiment. I know where it comes from. I know kind of what's being said. But when I read through the story of the Bible, my overwhelming interpretation of God is not that he's gentlemanly, whatever that means, but that he's God. God's not first and foremost a gentleman. He's God. And we see how this plays out in Pharaoh's life in a familiar story where God is setting up his people to be freed from slavery in Egypt. And there's uh, Pharaoh's starting point in Exodus chapter 5 is disbelief and non-compliance. So he's over here somehow. And Pharaoh, it says, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. That's where he begins. And then at the start of chapter 6 in Exodus, God promises to do something miraculous. And he says to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. And as the story goes on, there are signs and wonders and plagues. And yet what God does to Pharaoh is entirely wrapped up in what he does to his heart. What he does to Pharaoh's will. God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh and Aaron will tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions and my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Pharaoh's free will is no match for God's intention to reveal his glory here. And as it goes, Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. Now here we see God intervene in Pharaoh's life without invitation, definitely, but arguably not without necessity because it is so purposeful for God. Now, it might not be one of those bits in the Bible that's particularly people-pleasing, but it is purposeful because God goes on to say in chapter 9, by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth, but I have raised you up for this very purpose. I've raised you up, Pharaoh, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And we might wonder, but what about Pharaoh's free will? What about his freedom to choose? But we see here that God's ultimate purposes trump God-given freedoms in this story. And Pharaoh's story sticks out to us, probably because it is quite extreme, it is quite dramatic, but as we read through the Bible, we see many more examples of God interacting with human free will to influence it. He influences us. Now, something uh, I took up as a hobby in the winter lockdown was online shopping. Just to add a level of excitement to my day. You'd hear someone coming up the stairs and you'd be like, oh, it's maybe a delivery for me. It's maybe for someone else in the clothes because we're all doing it. And I actually got so into online shopping and returning and shopping and returning that I sought out like-minded people and started some group threads where we could, you know, like confess that we were buying more things or say, oh, you're going to return it or like show a picture of us wearing it and then be like, oh yeah, return it or whatever it was going to be. And I found myself saying something for the first time in my life along the lines of, guys, I've been influenced. And what I meant by that was there's a girl I follow on Instagram who wears gilets, and now I'm looking for gilets and asking my mom if we have any gilets in the attic because I need to have a gilet. I've been influenced. I don't even know how it happened. We know that we can be influenced. Our wills can be influenced. It's how advertising works. It's why there's now people who can put their job on a form as influencer. 
So how much more is the God of the universe able to influence our wills and the wills of people around us? We know that this must be true. It's not surprising to us. But one of the most common ways I see God do it through the Bible is that he causes people to show favor to his children. He does it in Exodus with the whole people group. It says the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And he does it with Moses as well individually. Moses was highly regarded in Egypt in the midst of that. So with a whole people group, they're going to show favor to the whole people group. They're also going to show favor to this one particular individual. We see it in Joseph's story in relation to Potiphar in Genesis chapter 39. It says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, Joseph and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes. In the book of Daniel, Daniel resolves not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And then it says, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. God causes people to show favor outright in the Bible, and he also intervenes in his children's lives in such a way that causes people to show favor to them. And favor is so often something that can unlock answers to prayer in our lives. For example, God giving you favor with a landlord, God giving you favor with an employer, God granting us favors, maybe we're having paperwork assessed or whatever the situation may be, favor can unlock answers to prayer, and God does that. Now, when we look at the Bible, it's important that we think about the relationship between human free will and our prayers and other people's salvations. I'm not going to go into the five points of anything or the great mystery of how we choose God and he chooses us, but when you look at the story of the Bible, I think it's just so clear that God's not hands off when it comes to our salvation. He's not beyond interfering. And do we see a better example of that than perhaps the most obvious example, which is that while we were still sinners... Jesus died for us while we were still far from him, while we couldn't even cry for help or invite him in, he died for us. God's not beyond interfering. And if you've given your life to Jesus, God's interfered. Because Jesus uh, teaches in John, he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. God draws us to himself. So as we pray for people's salvation, hopefully we want to pray for people's salvation. Maybe we First, we start off and we filter through, okay, is, it, is this God's will? And we can see clearly in Scripture that it is God's will. We can read things like Second Peter, uh, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. First Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. So we begin by thinking, okay, this is God's ideal will, is that people would know him and come to knowledge of the truth. So I want to pray for salvation. So I'm going to pray with all faith and all boldness, except truth be told, I know that some of the prayers I pray with the least faith, with the lowest faith are the prayers I pray for other people's salvations. Some of my closest family, some of my closest friends. Why am I not praying with greater faith for their salvation? Because I've come to believe that their free will is a wall. I've come to believe, you know, they've chosen to reject Jesus. So what are my prayers going to do? I'm viewing their free will as a wall, and maybe, maybe that happens for all of us as we even pray for reawakening, revival. We look at our nation and our generation and, and through the lens of our communities and the people that we are around, and we just think, I don't see a way of how they could turn to Jesus. I don't see a way they've chosen to reject him. I don't know how this could happen. So maybe we stop praying or we pray with like cripplingly low faith for individuals, for our, our city and generation, for reawakening, for revival, because we can't imagine them turning to God. But 
when we pray for that, we are asking God, the God of the universe, to draw people to himself. And when we look at the Bible again, we see that God is not powerless to do this. I've got two extreme examples for us, which I hope will raise our expectations. So firstly, Old Testament example is King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. And with him, we see God influencing someone's will by changing their circumstances, by intervening in their circumstances. So King Nebuchadnezzar, very much not following God, far from him, against him, setting himself up as a God. He's taken captive God's people. He's thrown them into fiery furnaces. He's done all sorts of things. But then he has a dream, which he doesn't understand. And one of God's people, Daniel, interprets it for him. And it means that he will spend seven years in the wilderness, eating with the wild animals, until he acknowledges that Yahweh is God. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like seven years eating in the wilderness with animals would humble me and maybe change my mind. It would influence my thinking. It would make me wonder, maybe I am not a god. Maybe there is an actual god that I should worship. And it, it does for King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 4, it says, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. He's been humbled and he's turned to God. New Testament example, Saul, who becomes Paul. And with him, we see God influencing someone's will through like a holy disruption, a holy interruption. Because he's going on with his life. And the starting point for him right now, catching up with him in Acts chapter 9, it says that he, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So if you just imagine for a second, the person in your life, your friend, your family member, who you think is furthest from God, imagine them for a moment and consider, do they, do they want you to die? Are they planning your demise? Because if they're not, then they're not as far as Saul was. And yet what we see happen to him is that he's, he's on the road to Damascus and a light from heaven flashed around him. And Jesus speaks to him and he's blind. He's made blind until a few days later, Ananias comes and prays for him and he receives his sight and he receives his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit as he believes. Saul's will and God's dramatic intervention are both very much involved in his salvation. And thank God they were. We pray for salvations because we believe in a God who does interfere with human free will, who does intervene, who can save anyone. No one is beyond him, and he is able to reach anyone. Our prayers matter. And as we think about prayer, if we can, on one hand, let go of, it, of the belief that God is just God and will do whatever he wants, and then we can also let go of the belief that God will never interfere in the hearts and minds of other people because they're free, if we can let go of that belief, and the belief that God will just do whatever he wants, then the space in between is where our prayers are most significant because we believe that actually people can turn to God no matter their story and that God can intervene and change their circumstances. So some practical takeaways, just four practical takeaways for a prayer life as I begin to close. So first one is to revisit any prayers that you have stopped praying. Maybe you have believed that God can't influence people. God can't interfere with their free will in any way, and so therefore your prayers have been stopped. And the enemy would want you to believe that because praying for people is probably the most loving, the most productive, the most good thing we can do in relationship with other people. But the enemy would have us stop. So if you've believed that, then we, we need to let go of that. And okay, yes, our prayers, not all of our prayers might be wise. Not all of our prayers might be the best for someone, the best for us in God's eyes, and then they won't be answered, and that's okay. 
but someone else's free will shouldn't stop us from taking things to our Father in heaven who loves them. So revisit, bring back, open up that box of prayers that you have not been praying, could be praying, and pray them with high faith, knowing that God can do it. The second thing is to be more specific. We know that the more specific we are, the more quickly we notice, okay, God, you have moved in this. God, you've answered my prayer. The more we praise God, God loves to be praised. So then the cycle continues. And with our big prayer requests, maybe it would be helpful to think, okay, Holy Spirit, what, what am I actually asking you to do in the realm of other people's hearts and minds? And then to pray for those things. So maybe you're praying, okay, God, I need a new job. I need rescued from my current situation. I need to be brought into something new. Maybe the sorts of things that the Holy Spirit will help you pray for in that situation would be, okay, God, grant me favor with this person who I'll name. God, give me an opportunity to show that person what I can do. Give me an opportunity today before lunchtime. God, soften this person's heart to me. Or God, make, help the panel understand what I'm capable of. Help them to understand my CV as they read through these things. God, help the boss remember me after this interview is done so that, not pointlessly, but so that someday when you are employed and your boss turns around to you and says, you know what, it's weird, we had more skilled people come in for that job, but I just couldn't forget you after we did your interview. You can know that was God answered my prayer and helped him and did that and interfered. Isn't God good? The next thing is to pray with higher faith for salvations knowing that just because someone in your life has chosen to reject God, that they are not written off. If you're alive, then it's time to pray for them. <laughs> They're not written off. And could God do it without us? Yeah, to be honest, sometimes I don't understand why he would choose me, but we know as we look at the Bible that we are his church, we are his plan, we are part of this. And we get to pray, God, let your kingdom come. We know, okay, people's salvation, that is God's ideal will. So we can pray that with confidence. If there's nothing else we can pray with confidence, that is one thing we can pray with confidence. So pray for people, pray for God to use people's circumstances, to change their circumstances, to draw them to himself. And you can pray for those holy disruptions, those holy interruptions. And then the final thing is to persevere with prayers that feel impossible, with the most impossible prayers you have. Now, I know how stubborn I am and how unmoving I can be in my heart and in my mind. So it does not surprise me that sometimes the most impossible prayers of my life feel like the prayers that involve other people's hearts and minds because we are stubborn and we can have hard hearts. So if those prayers feel impossible, persevere. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 11 of a, a neighbor going late at night to someone, someone's house and, and knocking on the door and asking for bread and the person doesn't want to give it to them. But eventually they do because of their shameless audacity, the text says. So pray shamelessly audacious prayers for the people in your life, knowing that God can decide if he wants to answer them. Don't say no for him. Pray those prayers. Ask him to do the impossible. In Brian's first message on prayer, he called us to move from being reality victims to reality shifters. And it amazes me that the human heart is not beyond what can be shifted by my prayers. So I've got a wee challenge for us all today and it's simple and it's predictable and it's just to think about your biggest prayer request or maybe just the, the thing that you're thinking about most often when you pray. And to ask God, okay, reveal to me, are there things to do with other people's hearts and minds on the way to this? How can I pray? What can I pray for specifically? And then pray with faith for those things to happen and then tell us the stories as they do. I'm just gonna pray for us right now and then um, I'll lead into our response time as well. 
Holy Spirit, help us. Help us, fill us. Help us to understand, help us to be encouraged. Make us bold. Silence the enemy where he would lie to us, where he would have us stop praying, where he would have us give up, admit defeat. Even right now, Lord, where there are people in our lives who we need to pray for their salvation. You have called us to, the, to do that. Can you put their names in our minds right now? God, if we've given up, we just say sorry. Remind us again. Help us to persevere. Help us to be shamelessly audacious as we pray for these things, knowing that, God, you are not distant and uninvolved in our lives, but you are so close and you care and you move in response to our prayers. So help us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.